You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. is the act of giving that person encouragement or courage. It's giving that person confidence. An encourager is one who encourages. The one who incites, stimulates the action. One who supplies incitements. One who offers counsel and reward. This is Barnabas. Barnabas throws caution to the wind. Barnabas just is so in tune with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in Saul's life that he throws caution to the wind and he goes to Saul. He talks to him. Imagine that. And he listens to his conversion story and he's convinced his faith is real. Are you an encourager? Are you someone who uplifts another and builds up a sense of courage in them? Today, Pastor Dave will be talking about a great man of God named Barnabas. He was willing to believe and bet on Saul, who became Paul, when everyone else was distrusting Saul's so-called conversion. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 9 as he begins his message. From Pharisee to basket case, from basket case to apostle. You are Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus." So he was with them at Jerusalem, going in and, uh, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him when the brethren found out that they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. I'd like to start by asking you several questions. Has anybody ever let you down? Have you ever been disappointed, maybe even disconcerted, or even disillusioned by someone or something? Did these feelings that you had make you want to give up? Get to the point where you got, you've had it, you're just like, you know what, I'm out of it, I'm done. Statistics tell us, believe it or not, that the chance of being hit by lightning is one in 9,000. These same statistics tell us that the chance of winning a lottery game are basically one in four million. Do you know the odds of the chance of being let down by someone or something? One in one. The events at Damascus should have left Saul of Tarsus disconcerted, should have left him disappointed and even disillusioned. He should have felt let down. I mean, after all, he had come back after spending three years with the Lord in the desert, undergoing advanced ministry training. He had spent three years communing with the Lord one-on-one in the the heavy-duty crush course of evangelism and apostleship. He came back to, to Damascus with one single purpose, and that was to preach Christ to the Jews. That's what he wanted to do. In fact, 
When he wrote to the Roman church in Romans 9, verse 3, he basically said that he would literally go to hell if doing so would bring the Jews to salvation in Jesus Christ. He was willing to give up his salvation that he had in the Lord Jesus so that the Jews, his countrymen, could be brought into the kingdom. Wow. That's how strongly he felt about his countrymen. That's how strongly he felt about their salvation. Can you say that about someone? Can you say honestly to the Lord that you would give up your salvation that someone else might come in? Wow. Remember, Saul was trained and educated by the great Gamaliel. He was trained in all the Jewish customs. He was trained in all the Jewish traditions and all the theology. You know, it would seem as though Saul was tailor-made to be the minister to the Jews. I mean, he was tailor-made to be the minister of the Jews, but it wasn't to be. That was not the Lord's plan. Because you remember when we read in Acts 9.15, the Lord told Ananias that Saul would be his chosen vessel to take the gospel to the Gentiles first, and then to kings, and then finally to the Jews. The Gentiles would be Saul's priority, not the Jews. So what did Saul do when he got back after those three years back into Damascus? What did he do? He went into the synagogue and started preaching to the Jews. And he preached to them that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. But Saul's message was very, very poorly received. So much so that these Jews wanted to kill him. And it was necessary that he escaped Damascus. He had to get the brethren from Damascus to get him to fashion a basket and to put him in this basket and actually lower him down from the wall of the city, basically in disgrace, basically sneaking out of the city. 25, it says those very words. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. You know, this was perhaps the first real hardship or peril that Paul would face for Jesus' sake. Remember the words that the Lord told Ananias again. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Back in 916 of Acts. Had the Lord showed Saul these things? Had the Lord showed Saul these things during the three years that he spent with him in the desert? We don't know. It doesn't really say in Scripture. Kent Hughes says of this Damascus escape, it was an event which emphasized at the very beginning of his ministry his own abject weakness and frailty. Saul's weakness and his frail demeanor are evident right from the start of his ministry. Weak physically, maybe but certainly never spiritually. What does this illustrate to us? This illustrates a great comparison between Saul of Tarsus and Paul the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus traveled to Damascus full of man's power. He was full of man's authority, and he directed that against God's people. Saul, the great Pharisee, the consummate hunter of Christians, he went from being a Pharisee to being a basket case. Paul the Apostle left Damascus humbly in a basket. But he left under God's power and God's protection. He left as a basket case, and he would later become an apostle. Is there anything more descriptive of weakness than being let down in a basket over a wall? Can you think of anything in these days of chivalry, in these days of macho, macho men, and having to sneak away and being let down over the wall? One commentator thought, said it this way, could we think of anything more likely to rob of man of any sense of dignity than that? 
Remember the way that Paul was coming to town. Remember why he was coming to town. He came with letters. He came with letters and a purpose to rid the country of the way, to rid the country of these Jesus freaks who were proclaiming Jesus Christ. He was going to come in there, and these letters gave him permission, gave him authority. But he had a small encounter on the way. Met somebody he never expected to meet. He met Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And you know the story. We studied it. And so instead of coming into Damascus triumphant, when everybody cheering, he had to come in as a blind man because his eyes were scaled. He had to be led by the hand into town. And he'll wait and pray until he was healed of his blindness. And then he goes off to Arabia for three years and is trained by the Lord. And he comes back with all this power, all authority. It reminds me of what happened when the apostles were up on the hill in transfiguration. They're up on the hill in transfiguration and they see the Lord. They see Moses and they see Elijah. And they're all, and he's transfigured before them. Can you imagine their eyes? They saw the glory of the Lord and they're standing there and their eyes and their mouths are falling open. And they're like, Wow. And after all that, they went down out of the mountain and they couldn't heal the kid who was demon-possessed. They went from this glorious time on the mountaintop experience to a valley that was fraught with despair and fraught with problems and they couldn't handle it because they didn't remember what had happened. They didn't remember what they saw. Paul came back from Arabia on fire for the Lord, man. He was on fire. He wanted to preach, and he knew that the Jews were going to accept Jesus because of his tongue. He knew that he was going to go into that. He was going to go into that um, synagogue, and he was not going to be the consummate hunter. He was going to be the fisherman for Christ. He was going to go in, and he was going to fish for men. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. They wanted to kill him. So what did Paul think of these events? What did Paul think of the event that takes place here in Jerusalem? excuse me, in Damascus. It's pretty interesting that here we are studying the harmony of the Gospels, and we're trying to make, make one line, a timeline of how, you know, Jesus was born and how his life and ministry pursued, and we're using all the Gospels and coming together like that. And I've told you before from this forum that the, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And we can find out what happened to Paul, what Paul was thinking on this very thing. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11, in 2 Corinthians 11, in verse 30 to 33, we see Paul's reflection of these times. Let me read it to you. Paul begins, he says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God uh, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Artis the king was guarding the city of Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in the basket through a window in the wall, escaped from his hands. We see here that Saul, as the Apostle Paul is writing of what he boasts in, and the only thing that he boasts in is the infirmities. The only thing he's boasting is, is the infirmities and suffering for Christ. That's the only place that he's boasting. He's not boasting of the things he did. He's not boasting of the things that the Lord did through him. He's boasting about his suffering in Christ. And that's his total boast. Wow. And he says that being lowered over the wall that night was one of the most meaningful experiences in his life, at least in his early Christian life. Wow. He's boasting in his infirmities. You know, unlike some false apostles who would never dream of boasting in such things simply because the thought of any infirmity may, may, that may make them look weak and far from God. Some people think that if you are infirm, then you must be doing something wrong. If you don't believe me, read what the Job's friends said to him. 
Because you're weak. Oh, you must be doing something. I mean, even when Jesus was walking, one of his disciples said, uh, well, when they came up, I think it was a blind man, and when one of them said, you know, Lord, who sinned in this man's family? And why is he blind? Paul didn't care what it looked like and how foolish it was in the world's eyes. He didn't even care what the, world, the church thought about it because the church was thinking like the world. Why? Because Paul had an eternal perspective. Paul didn't have a physical perspective. He didn't have a worldly perspective. He had an eternal perspective on things. And he always took everything to the spiritual, just like Jesus Christ. He took everything to the spiritual and thought of everything for its eternal value. He knew the greater glory was in Jesus Christ. He knew that that's where his greatness lied, and it was in Jesus Christ. And it was Christ that was great, not Paul. He would later say, right? He would later say, that when he was weak, Christ was indeed strong. He's going to say those things. Paul was not boasting in his own ability. One commentator said, I will not boast of my natural or acquired powers, neither in what God has done by me, but rather in what I have suffered for him. That was Paul's mindset. Paul knew what he deserved. Do you know what you deserve? Death. You deserve hell. Paul knew that. Paul had a grasp of what we deserve. We deserve hell. And he had a grasp of the grace of God that was disposed upon him, and he was willing to go the, the length of anyone to suffer for Christ's sake. After his escape in the basket from Damascus, Paul leaves Damascus, and he heads of all places, Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judaism. He's going right back to the Jews. Little did he know that awaiting for him in Jerusalem, there was more disappointment and more disillusionment. We pick it up in Acts 9, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. You know, the, the disciples' reluctance to Paul, or excuse me, to Saul is quite understandable. After all, I'm sure his reputation preceded him. I'm sure they heard all about this guy. In fact, they knew him all too well. They knew what this man had done to the saints. They were not only afraid of him, they didn't believe his conversion. They didn't believe that he was truly converted. Maybe they thought that he was, wanted to infiltrate their ranks. Maybe, he, they, maybe they thought that he wanted to infiltrate them so he could get close to them, so they can destroy them in, in, internally. They may have been thinking, well, you know, we were fooled by Simon the sorcerer. Remember him? We were fooled by Simon the sorcerer. We're not going to be fooled this time by a bigger name. We're not going to be fooled just because you're Saul, just because you're Saul the Pharisee. We're not going to be fooled. We want more proof. We sort of had this discussion on Friday night, but the question has to be asked, could you accept the killer as a Christian? Could you entertain them as a brother? Could you entertain Tex Watson as a brother? Tex Watson, famous for being with the Manson family, Tate murders. He professed to be a Christian before he was executed. Could you have fellowship with Jeffrey Dahmer, who was a noted killer and cannibal, but also accepted the Lord supposedly before he was killed? Could you have fellowship with them? Could you accept their Christianity without proof? Don't be too quick to say that their sin is greater than yours. There's no such thing because God views all sin the same. Sin is sin is sin is sin. There's no difference. 
You've broken one. You've broken them all. Once again, we see another defeat for Saul. You know, he spent three years of this ministry training. And he, 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 his preparation was major, only to be frustrated in Damascus, humiliated to the point of being let down over a wall in a basket, and now the mother church won't accept him. And he's back and looking for good graces with the, with the apostles themselves, and they won't accept him. The apostles don't want anything to do with him. You know, this really must have hurt him. Can you imagine how he's feeling? You know, I'm sure some of us at this point would have turned our backs on Christ. We'd have said, I've had it. You know, for three years, man, I've been preaching Christ, and I've been enduring assassination threats and, and all kinds of things, and you know what? Now they won't even accept me as a Christian. I'm done. I'm out of here, Jack. I'm done with this whole mess. We might have thought that. But Saul had a greater heart of love for Jesus and Jesus' people and followers than almost anybody I can think of. And what an example it is for us to have that kind of heart towards those type of people. I don't doubt that it hurt his feelings. But he understood that the disciples in Jerusalem would long, long remember the Christians that he killed. They would long remember them because I'm sure some of them were their friends. Some of them were their friends. And now you were supposed to accept this person and bring him in? If the disciples in Jerusalem lacked a little love, Saul would just add a little more love to it because that's the way Saul was. Saul had this amazing picture of Jesus, and it probably came from spending time with him. It probably came from spending time with him. You can have that same attitude. Why? Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with the Lord. Commune with him on a daily basis. Allow him to wash you with the water of his word. Allow him to fill you with your Holy Spirit. And allow him to guide you and lead you. But you have to spend time with him. Lord, what are you going to do? Well, before you answer that, I've got to do this. I'll be right back, Lord. I'm busy right now. You hold on there. I'll be back. Spend time with the Lord. Enter the son of encouragement. Dun, dun, dun. The son of encouragement. His name is Barnabas. His name is Barnabas. What a great name. Remember we met Barnabas back in chapter 4 in verse 36? His real name was Hoses, Hoses or Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember? We met him then. Where Saul was the consummate hunter before he met the Lord, remember? Barnabas was always the consummate encourager. You ever think about the word encourage or encouragement or encourager? To encourage someone is to give them courage to do something, to give them an increase of confidence to success, to inspire them of courage or spirit, strength of mind, or to embolden them. In fact, the word encouragement is the act of giving that person encouragement or courage. It's giving that person confidence. An encourager is one who encourages, the one who incites, stimulates to action, one who supplies incitements, one who offers counsel and reward. This is Barnabas. Barnabas throws caution to the wind. Barnabas just is so in tune with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in Saul's life that he throws caution to the wind, and he goes to Saul, he talks to him, imagine that, and he listens to his conversion story, and he's convinced that his faith is real. We need Barnabas's. We need Barnabases in our lives. Listen to what it says in verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You have to love Barnabas. 
Here's a man who allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him, allowed the Holy Spirit to guide him, allowed the Holy Spirit to give him discernment about Paul, Saul. He took time to get to know Saul. He listened to his story. He didn't just blow him off and said, no, come back when your works are better. Come back when you have a better life. Come back when there's change in your life. He welcomed him with open arms. In fact, the actual Greek wording here is that Barnabas actually took Saul by the hand and led him into the apostles' place, almost like he's saying, come out from under the bed, guys. He's here. Peter, come out from under there. Hey, he won't bite. Saul's here. Come on, guys. Barnabas was an intercessor. He was a reconciler. His faith allowed him to forgive the past. His faith allowed him to put aside, and his faith was so full of God's grace that it enabled him to trust Saul despite his past sins and despite his past dangers. He had a great understanding of the grace of God. You know, so many times we as Christians are often very, very evangelical in our theology, but we don't, excuse me, we distrust others. You know, we love to see receive God's grace, but sometimes we're not too quick to give it out. Maybe we just need a fresh understanding of what God's grace is all about. I know I do at times. I'm just as guilty as the next person. I want to know what God's grace is. I want to be able to establish that grace and show that grace. Unfortunately, I don't. I hold it back sometimes. But how beautiful is the ministry of Barnabas? He confirmed in others what no one else could confirm. He helped believers to be reconciled one to another. He took risks for Jesus Christ, and he promoted the ministry of others within the body and rejoiced at their success. Imagine that. Letting someone have a higher seat than you in an authority. Promoting someone else's ministry other than your own. God mightily uses men and women like Barnabas for his glory. And oh, how the church today needs men and women like Barnabas. It's interesting how the Lord uses people to do his will. How the Lord pulls people out of places. The Lord has used two people in Saul's early Christian life. Two people. Two unknowns basically to him. He sent Ananias, remember, the disciple? The one who greeted him as brother and welcomed him into the kingdom of God and prayed with him that he might receive his eyesight. And then he sends Barnabas, who was a great encourager anyhow, because he knew exactly what Paul needed at the time. He knew that Paul was disillusioned. He knew that Paul was discouraged. He knew that Paul was feeling let down. He knew that Paul might be at the point of quitting. I don't know what to do. Has the Lord ever done that in your life? At the perfect time, when you're feeling so low, get a phone call. Somebody calls you. Somebody comes over. You see someone in church. Somebody says the right word at the right time. And you know it's from God. God uses people mightily in our lives, and that's why fellowship and is so important. That's why it's so important that we fellowship one to another. When we get that iron to sharpen iron, when we hear the words of love from someone else, wow, it means so much. I like to call those people centerers because they center me back on Christ. They center me back on where I need to be because sometimes I, I kind of drift. But they center me back on Christ. I love that when someone does that for me. Verse 28, he says, so he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he speaks of this time in Jerusalem in Galatians 1, 18 and 19. He said, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. You are a sure 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.